Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Bob Varsha, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Good morning, gearheads. Good afternoon, if that's where you are. And welcome to the Speed City F1 on Series 6M pre-race show for the 2023 Formula 1 Qatar Grand Prix. This is John Massengale. I'm your gentleman driver of the team, if you will, but I'm joined by the professionals and some of the most iconic motorsport commentators in the world. And starting with the man who needs no introduction to Formula 1 fan, America's voice of motorsport, Bob <clears throat> Varsha. Mr. Varsha, how are you? I'm doing great, John. I'm here in uh, Indianapolis, where I spent yesterday working on the SRO Intercontinental GT Challenge and the final round of the Pirelli GT World Challenge America Series. I always have to think about that title before I give it. But it's been a it's been a great weekend. And um, curiously, uh, my Formula One email inbox <laughs> is packed. Did I miss something? <laughs> Yes, Bob, it has been a busy, busy weekend. Uh, yeah, in fact, we got a lot to talk about, but we have to start today talking about the newly crowned three-time world champion, Max Verstappen. Sure. You know, Bob, his career started as the youngest F1 driver in history, and really, he's been making history ever since. And yesterday, maybe not the way he wanted to do it, but three-time world champion and just an incredibly dominant season to do it in. It's just been amazing, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's been a foregone conclusion for a long time. And uh, as you and I were discussing as we we're waiting for showtime, um, I agree with my colleague Steve Matchett that, you know, claiming a world championship in a what is essentially a supporting race, not because you dominated, but because another driver, in this case, his teammate Sergio Perez, drops out is, you know, it's kind of coming in the back door a little bit, I guess. You know, we'd like more of a of a triumph. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's his third straight, joining what, four or five other drivers who won three or more. And interestingly to me, all of those previous drivers, uh, with the exception of, um, gosh, who is it? Anyway, they all won their three titles consecutively. So, you know, to, to lament the domination of Red Bull and Max Verstappen kind of overlooks the fact that this is kind of way it's been going back through the 70 plus year history of Formula One. You know, good teams, good drivers, uh, good situations can last for a long time. That's very true. And, you know, we've talked a bit about this this season, but, you know, it is the sport. It's the very nature of our sport, right? It's a technology race. It's a space race to oh, have yeah. you. and. Right now, Red Bull's got it right, and we no, should. No question. And we should be excited about it, right? We should say, this is this is the difference between this sport and other sports is that, you know, someone's got it just right, and Adrian Newey is a big part of that. Of course, they've got it right. They've got the power unit right. They've got the chassis right. They've got the aerodynamics right, and they've got the driver right, don't we? I mean, it's just mm -hmm. it's just a the perfect recipe right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I've talked about it for years. Jonathan's talked about it. We've talked about it on the show. You know, Formula One is about excellence at the sharp end of the spear when it comes to international motorsports. It's not everybody rolling out in a spec chassis with one of a, a couple of engine suppliers, perhaps, um, and all running on, you know, a control tire. Uh, that would be arguably a greater test of driver ability, I suppose. But 
Formula One is so much more than that. It is, as you say, a garage war. It's a technology race. Build it, invent it. You know, years ago, I always used the envelope. this analogy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I, I use the analogy that, um, you know, after 9-11 and all the tragedy, uh, when it was decided we're going to put impermeable cockpit doors on commercial airliners and it's going to cost, what, $30,000 an airplane, it's going to take us 10 years. <clears throat> I thought, you give that assignment to the Formula <laughs> One pit lane yeah. and they'll have cockpit doors that you couldn't get through with a howitzer and they'll by have Monday. it done by next week, right? Because <laughs> the race is coming up. It was due yesterday. Let's get it done. I said that at a, a speech I gave once to the Society of Automotive Engineers. And sitting near the front was my old friend, Jim Downing, a three-time IMSA champion and a guy who runs his own shop and does a lot of, uh, of restoring cars and stuff. And as I made that point, he just sat there nodding <laughs> his head. You're damn right. You know, Give it to the race teams. They know how to uh, invent a technology in a hurry. Yeah. It was like during the pandemic, remember, when the Formula One teams jumped in and started making the ventilators? Right. They had ventilators go. You know, they had ventilators that within just a few weeks that I'm sure right. took, you know, the medical industry years to perfect. But yeah, uh, yeah, delivered. This is our sport and this is why we love it. And, I, yep. you know, look, Max Verstappen has just done something this year that is Max and the team. Let's not say it's all Max because it's not. And he was good. He was, he was good about that, wasn't he, Bobby? I've heard a couple of different interviews with him, and he was uh, the one that I thought was really fascinating. Was that he talked? He gave all the credit to the team, and he was saying, "Hey, I did that on the radio." As he was, you know, after he had won the championship mm -hmm. after the race, sprint race, and he was saying that he it really enjoyed this the team, the people working, coming to work every day, and yeah, and, and all of those things. So I, I think it's you know. We've had this vision of Max because, look, he came into the sport as a 17-year-old. I mean, mm -hmm. he was literally a child. And no matter how you yeah. define that, he was a child. And Yeah, as a teenager. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he had that unbelievable competitive streak. Plus, this just, uh, you know, you could say, you might say, depending on where his career goes, generational talent. So, you know, you the guy, yeah. the guy was just... Uh, uh, you know, right out of the box, you know, something special. In fact, Christian Horner said that to an interview with Will Buxton yesterday. He said that. Will asked him, when did you see it? And and Christian said, I, I think we saw it right when he was karting. We could see from day one that this, this guy was going to be something special. Yeah, look at his career arc. He was in karting. He was in their, their junior team, now called AlphaTauri, but Toro Rosso back in the day. He was there for about 10 minutes before they bumped Daniel Ricardo and stuck him in there with Max. Uh, I mean, Max stuck in there with, with a variety of teammates we've had now. In fact, there's an argument going on about who's had the toughest teammates and as if that makes him a more worthy champion one way or the other. Um, I don't know. I, I just say again, you know, don't bitch too loud or too long because years from now, you're going to want to say that you saw this, that you saw one of the great um dynasties if you want to call it that because it could be short-lived we got a new rules package new engine new teams coming in the next couple of years uh certainly by 2026 uh and you know red bull could totally stub its toe i mean who knows what's going to happen but for right now you can't beat them and that's an achievement worthy of a, a big round of applause well we'll talk more about max verstappen but there looks to be some breaking news and, and we're going to talk all about the tires as well but we've got chris Medlin on site in Qatar. 
And I want to see if Chris has got his mic ready because the uh, the news looks like Carlos Sainz may be out of this race. So I see Chris. is There he is. Hey, Chris, how are you, sir? I am very well. How are you guys? Uh, we are doing great. We're just uh, checking in on this breaking news about Carlos Sainz. Yeah, so am I, to be honest with you. Um, I have, um, yeah, seen the... Uh, information that has come through on if you hopefully you guys have still got me yes I yes do we do directly from ferrari so yes a uh, a fuel system issue means that no carlos sites in this grand prix wow so yeah 19 cars in it um 18 in terms of starting from the grid as well because there's been um a penalty for sergio perez for components that were changed overnight and that means that he uh will have to stop in the pit lane because he's using a new power unit that exceeds all his limits so, uh, yeah, 18 cars on the grid, but no Carlos Sainz. So that is a blow for Ferrari when you look at what they're trying to uh, achieve in terms of closing the gap to Mercedes. Yeah, that hey, is Chris, it. Hmm. I, was, uh, I was reading through the FIA documents issued by the stewards thus far this weekend, and one from the head scrutineer, Joe Bauer, down the pit lane, listed like six pages. Virtually every team made a whole laundry list of changes or replacements to their cars with FIA approval under Park for May. So they did it right. Obviously the Red Bull guys uh, violated the same rule we saw in Japan with Williams and, and Logan Sargent. Um, is, is this unusual uh, seeing all these changes under Park for May rules? Granted that Qatar is a very different situation, unfamiliar track, trouble with these curbs and the, the tires, uh, or is this pretty much business as usual? It's pretty much business as usual when it comes to a sprint event uh, where there's a little bit of uh, leeway in terms of the kind of what gets worn on cars. If you think of qualifying, you know, it's only a, a very limited number of push laps. You're not in wheel to wheel combat. Uh, you're having your outlaps and in laps where you're much more cautious as well. So the car is actually stressed much less uh, and used much less. So components aren't getting worn as much. So you're allowed to make certain changes under park Ferme conditions as long as they are like for like in terms of component specification uh, mm -hmm. and between a sprint and a race, that's when it's more likely that teams will want to do that because of the wear essentially that's happened during a sprint. So not massively unusual on that front, but mm -hmm. you are correct about the Sergio Perez comment. I actually had confirmation now that there's no further penalty for Perez aside from his pit lane start, which is a normal park Ferme infringement for using components that aren't the same and exceed limits. Uh, but, yeah, they were cited for the same thing as Williams in Japan. Uh, Red Bull were called to the stewards because they felt they built up their replacement chassis to a point beyond where they were meant to. Uh, and therefore, they deemed that as having a third car ready and you're not allowed to have that. That meant a 10-second time penalty for Logan Sargent in the race in Japan that he was given before the race even started. Uh, and I, uh, I will admit, having seen the documents originally, I assumed same thing going for Perez. But Red Bull have been cleared in the sense that they actually use the wording cleverly again uh, that at no stage did they have two different cars ready at the same state or uh, or at states beyond what is allowed so as they built up the second chassis beyond the point that they should have they had done enough work on the other one to reduce it so that they never had more than one car available uh, to them so the stewards kind of said actually yeah we can't really say that anything's been broken here but the intention of the rule is to stop this. So they're going to revisit that in future. But it meant no further action uh, in terms of an in-race penalty. So he starts in the pit lane, but with no other penalties to deal with after that. 
So no 10 second penalty. There was another, no. uh, there was another directive <laughs> regarding drivers being weighed after <laughs> getting out of their car, you know, whether they crash out of the race, whether they win the race, uh, whether they're eliminated in Q1, Q2, Q3, you can't go drink anything. You can't, you know, jump into your team's arms. They're, they're obviously worried about drivers picking up extra weight. So they, uh, they pass muster under the rules. Yes. Uh, and the, the reason that's come up, it was actually clarified apparently in Singapore, but there was a stern talking to, I was told by one of the driver coaches uh, back in Miami, but it's about in qualifying because the times that then drivers finish their sessions are different. You know, you've got everyone who drops out in Q1, everyone who drops out mm -hmm. in Q2, they get out of their cars and they essentially had to go straight to get weighed, but they were almost allowed to go in any direction they wanted to get to that point. Now, uh, or recently this year, it was clarified, they had to walk through the front of the garage and up the pit lane. So they're visible at all times. So they can't walk through the back of a garage and like you say, um, pour a load of water down their back or um, you know, slip a weight in somewhere you know, quickly right. and subtly. They, they are seen at all times. And that, uh, the reason that all came up was because of uh, Lance Stroll pushing uh, his performance coach uh, after he was eliminated on Friday in qualifying um, mm -hmm. because he was unhappy and he was in a, in a bad mood having had a bad session. And his performance coach was, coach was trying to say to him, you have to go this way. You right. have to go out the front to go and get weighed. Uh, and Lance was like, no, I'm going out the back because I want to go and cool down. So it was, uh, yeah, that's why that, that came up. But to flag another one, uh, if we don't need to go to a break just yet, but uh, ha have we spoken about tyres yet on the, on today's show while you were no. waiting, me, waiting for me to finally join no. the fun? Believe it or not, we hadn't. We were because... talking about Verstappen, but yes, please. Yeah. We've we're got a lot to talk you, about. Chris. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there is a lot to talk about on this front. I am hovering by Pirelli, not because I need their Wi-Fi for once, but I just hope to speak to Mario Islo <laughs> at some point before the race gets underway. Uh, we have, for, uh, well, I believe the first time ever, um, certainly the, the first time in a race I've covered, mandatory maximum stint lengths. So the maximum number of t uh, laps you can do on wow. a set of tyres. And that is 18 laps for a new set of tyres. Uh, it, it changes based on a used set and, and how many laps they were used for that they, they deem as fast laps. So in and out laps in qualifying don't count because they're very slow. Um, but if, you, if you've done a push lap, that counts. So there's, there's different um, lap lengths left on different sets of tyres that have been communicated to the teams. We do have a very complex document that explains that. But right. at the end of the day, 18 laps means if this race runs to its full distance, it's at least a three-stop race that nobody can do anything less than three stops because otherwise you would exceed those limits. And if you exceed those limits, you're going to get disqualified. And this is because uh, the curbs here at Qatar They've been modified since we came two years ago. The exit curbs in certain corners are very severe. Uh, they're about 50 millimeters high and they're like a pyramid shape. So you've got this point at the end. <laughs> uh, and it means that as, as cars run over them at high speed for a long time because of the track layout, uh, it's, it's basically the, the tires getting pounded uh, by these little points. Uh, and the construction is starting to show signs that they, it could fall apart. It, it, it the could tires, fail. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah, exactly. The construction of the tires. So, mm -hmm. it, well, so so far, nothing's delaminated yet, but little separations and cuts have appeared uh, right. through yeah. microscopic analysis after Friday that Pirelli saw. And to avoid it becoming worse, they have then uh, they imposed some changes for the sprint yesterday. But because there's so many safety car laps, they couldn't really tell if that did what they needed it to do. So to to ensure that nobody can essentially run their tires too long and risk a failure. 
uh, they have mandated a maximum number of laps. So we're in for a very hectic race in terms of pit stops. Probably mm-hmm. not going to have huge event, like massive variations in strategy. Some because mm-hmm. of the different tyres that teams have left and who can use what. Uh, the soft tyre, for example, you don't want to be on today, as we saw in the sprint yesterday. It just won't last. So it's going to be a bit hectic for the teams to to work out where their limits are because they cannot afford to go over them. But uh, yeah, we're going to see um, a different type of race today because of that. And uh, and obviously an added risk of disqualification for anyone who doesn't uh, play by the rules. Mm. All right. Well, guys, I'd like to be the guy who's in charge of counting all those laps on 20 different cars. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, coming up after this, we are going to talk about those p- potential strategies, but also want to get you guys opinion on this whole situation, you know, maybe should have Ferrari been or Pirelli been more prepared and all the other nuance of this tire situation. Listen to Speed City F1 back after a quick break. All right. On YouTube, David Lawrence says, ah, that explains everything. Thanks, Chris, for that explanation, because I honestly thought the news was a hoax and a prank this morning. Oh, there you go. <laughs> D. Nelson says that's a great explanation, Chris. I've been curious. Don't want another ND. Um, yeah, good stuff, Chris. That was but perfect. We're still hot on the stream, aren't we, right now for these yes, guys? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this essentially would have been an Indy, and I can repeat this when we're back on SXM as well, but this would have been an Indy situation if we had a tire war because you would have had, right. essentially, yeah. if this had been Michelin failure, having failures and Bridgestone not, then you'd have had... Um, one tire supplier saying, well, we've built a tire that can handle this, so we're not changing anything about the track. Uh, And the ones that haven't been able to handle it, they're the ones that are going to have to not race or impose on their own teams (laughs) stint lengths. And obviously, you can't have one rule for one one rule for another, so that's why what happened at Indy happened, because uh, they just said, okay, it's it's not safe for this set of tires, and therefore we're going to pull out. We're not going to risk it. So yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's that's how it would have would have played out. But um, I'm just looking actually as well at the grid, and with Sainz out of the race and Perez in the pit lane, Alex Albon has uh, has gained a couple of spots here, ah. think, and he's going to be he would have been 13th on the grid. He's going to be well, he, he still has to start 13th, I think. I think Sainz in 12th will leave an empty grid slot, but um, Albon up to technically a net 12th, and Hulkenberg a net 13th, Sargent a net 14th. And just thinking back to yesterday, in these conditions, Williams quick. So this is uh, good news for them trying to get some more points. Yeah, no doubt. One man's ceiling is another man's floor. Uh, let's see if anybody else has any couple of comments. Huh, Jesse Mesa, I like this one. Hard to believe Coda is next. I know, Jesse. It has snuck up on all of us. <laughs> Here we go. Hi, this is Gene Haas, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to Speed City F1 on Sirius XM. We are getting you ready for the Qatar Grand Prix. It's John Massingo. we got Bob Varsha and Chris Medlin. But before we get back into it, a message from our sponsor, CrowdStrike presents Driven in 60 as the official cybersecurity partner of the Mercedes-AMG Patronus Formula 1 team. CrowdStrike protects against cyber threats so the team can focus on what matters their next win. The revolutionary cloud-native unified CrowdStrike Falcon platform harnesses the speed and power of the cloud to protect and defend organizations of all sizes against increasingly complex threats. 
stopping breaches before they happen. Because on and off the track, the stakes couldn't be higher. A split second can make the difference between victory and defeat. When every second counts, protection shouldn't slow you down. It should fuel your momentum. CrowdStrike, protection at every turn. To learn more and to try CrowdStrike Falcon free today, visit CrowdStrike.com slash XM. All right, well, we were having a discussion on YouTube and during the break about, you know, someone possibly mentioned like this could be another Indianapolis. And Chris, you gave a nice explanation of that, but let's hear that again. Essentially, it would have been. Um, for anyone saying, I'm glad we're avoiding uh, an Indianapolis repeat. Uh, if we had a tire war right now, and there were two different tires in Formula One, then this would have created an Indianapolis situation because you would have had one tire supplier uh, who could run their car, their tires fully and safely, and they wouldn't have made any changes to the track for them. But you'd have had another supplier that wanted changes and couldn't get them. And because you can't then have one rule for one and one rule for another, you'd essentially have ended up with a tire supplier having to pull out on safety grounds. So fortunately, in a sense, because we do only have the one uh, tire supplier and, and what Pirelli do will apply to every team on the grid, it is the same issue for everybody and you're, you're setting the same rules right. for everybody. So uh, that's why we've avoided an indie situation here. You know, I, I think it raises the larger question of, and I'm not trying to to blame Pirelli because as you said, you know, we had the, the tire war in 2005 here in Indianapolis. Um, you wonder why these, these canny engineers don't scope out the racetracks ahead of time to look for potential problems like this. At Indy, it was thought that it was the G-forces in the uh, IndyCar Turn 4 that the Formula One cars were using to come out of the front Sorry to cut you off, Bob, but there's yeah. a man here that I was trying to speak to yesterday, and uh, he was very busy celebrating yesterday. So he said, we'll chat today, and I hope you got to celebrate last night. It's Jos Verstappen, who was, I imagine, a very proud father on Saturday night, seeing your son become a three-time world champion. Yep, not only Saturday night, though, so uh, always proud. And he's doing a fantastic job. So, um, yeah, it was a question of time to win that uh, third title, but and he did it, so um, we were really happy. Did you get to celebrate it all last night? A little bit, yeah. Not not too late. I was going to say, you're looking fresh, you're looking ready. You, you, you were just sweating a little bit, I don't know why. It's hot, it is very hot still. And you were just in the back of the garage, though, game face on again. Max's mindset, I guess, now is go and win another race. That's what he wants to do. So we will see. I mean, <laughs> now it's a little bit limited because of the pit stops. So um, we'll see if it is a, if it will be a nice race. And just can we reflect back? You you helped prepare Max to become a Formula One driver throughout his younger years. And you said the target was to get to F1. Could you ever imagine this sort of level of success? Did you see it in him really, really young? Well, I know he had something special. Um, but then still, you know, Formula One was a different world. It's a long, long way away. And um, finally... Yeah, we got the chance, and uh, the rest is uh, up to Max. You know, what he's doing on the moment, it's unbelievable. So, uh, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm just very proud on on this year, how many wins and, and how, you know, how to, to, to be there every, every weekend again. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's been massively impressive. And I, I get the feeling there's more to come. We will see. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good answer. I like that when he said, yeah, he, that's what he, he wants was, uh, to do about winning another race. That's what he wants to do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He just, well, it is all he wants to do as well. He, he <laughs> was, uh, they were celebrating a bit last night, uh, like here at the track. But it was interesting to see that he then was working with the engineers, left kind of 
fairly late, but not too late. Said he might have a drink or two, but in his head, he's like, just in a race tomorrow and I'm going to be fine and here tomorrow to, to go and win that. It's what I enjoy doing. Well, that's the problem with this sprint race format. You clinch the title on Saturday, but you have to be a good boy until Sunday because you've still got the Grand Prix coming up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I thought of the other drivers who won three straight titles. It was Fangio, Schumacher, uh, Vettel, and Hamilton. And interestingly, all of those four uh, went on to win a fourth consecutive championship. So oh. get used to it, folks. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, my point was, it is... Could there be a way for these huge tire companies with all the resources at their disposal, uh, could they be more prepared for the racetrack at a much more granular level? I mean, would, a, would an engineer who was walking the track in Qatar seen those curbs and, and how high they were? They're like the teeth of a saw and said, ooh, this, this could be problematic. I, I think the I, problem I just, was they yeah. got to that point of this could be problematic a little bit too late. As you say, they were... The, the track was recently resurfaced, but the, the curbs were only installed more recently. And mm -hmm. they can only almost find out once they run here. So they said they can now take away the data they've got from this weekend and use that in simulations in the future that will help them avoid it, this specific problem. And you just slowly build up that data bank. But in many ways, they just had to kind of accept that once they got here and saw the data from the running, then they can react. And to be fair to Pirelli, like the teams had no idea. Like uh, Saturday morning, we got the announcement from the FIA what had changed, and nobody was expecting it because nobody had seen an inkling of a problem. The teams hadn't noticed anything. It was just Pirelli doing its forensic analysis after Friday that it does every race that that actually highlighted highlighted a bit of an issue coming up, and uh, the drivers actually weren't particularly happy that they found out because it's a safety issue. They found out through the media. They they found out when we reported it. So I had uh, Esteban Ocon say to me today. He saw it on my Twitter on Saturday morning. And that's why the GPDA were kind of annoyed that they hadn't been briefed or involved in any of discussions. The first they heard was when, okay, this is what we're changing because there's a problem. But it also highlighted you know, how small it was in a sense. It wasn't that we were seeing tires blow up everywhere. It was the FIA looking very, very hard because they were concerned it could become an issue. Uh, hey, well, I want to I ask both of you guys uh, on uh, social media in the last 24 hours. I saw some a lot of bashing of Pirelli and what you know why can't they get this right and it's funny I hadn't thought of it that way I was of the mindset was okay I'm glad that they're digging into the data because like I think Chris you said it you reiterated this is that it wasn't like the tires were you could look at them and they were physically coming apart or anything it was just the analysis after the sessions that I guess they either cut them open or do some sort of analysis and they were saying there's this risk of delamination. My initial feeling was that, wow, I'm glad tech, uh, Pirelli is doing this, and I'm glad we have the technology to do this. Uh, Bob, I want to ask you, I mean, do you feel like that this is a mistake, that they should have anticipated this even more? Or, or you know, like you were saying, well, you know, about they should have maybe come to see the, the, uh, the curbs, but well, how do you feel about yeah. all that? Years ago, I had a huge argument, I mean, a huge argument with a self-taught, um, tire fan, if that's the right thing. Guy was was really deep into tire technology and he had a favorite and it wasn't Pirelli. Let me put it that way. Hmm. Um, in fact, he said it must be uh, nice to, to build a crap tire and be protected by the fact that, that you're the only guy in the series. I, no, I have so much respect for Pirelli. They're such a, a supporter of motorsports worldwide. Um, 
and we need to be cognizant of the fact that they were built they were they were contracted to build a tire that would do what it's done i would argue um beautifully over the years you know a tire that that falls off and creates performance differentials between cars so you get more passing more excitement and so on now my my point in raising the idea was um it, it, there must be a way of of looking at these tracks and predicting these problems. You're not going to predict everything, and I don't expect anybody to. And I imagine Pirelli is probably going to take measures so that this doesn't happen again. I don't know how the bikes deal with it. I mean, Qatar was yeah. originally for motorcycles, and uh, they don't seem to have that problem. But maybe they haven't encountered it yet because for all the reasons that Chris just went into. I, you know, we're, we're all fans, and we hate to be disappointed and I think people are a little bit disappointed by this. And, um, you know, Pirelli's where the, the finger obviously gets pointed. And that's probably not entirely fair, but it's just the way it is. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think in the sense, once the issue has appeared, you can only deal with it best you can. And, and that's what they're doing right now. Uh, same with the FIA. But, I mean, we're racing in so many venues now in so many different conditions and so many such, you know, relentless regularity as well you know straight from here to then a triple header of Austin Mexico Brazil the work that's going on to try and make sure that the tires are right for every venue and can and for every car on every venue that up to now generally they are they you know when teams complain it's because it's something that's not in their hands they don't you know they'd love better tires because the tires are one thing they can't control but they all have the same ones an issue like this is is embarrassing I think it, it shouldn't be happening but something as severe as this um, is rare, and they're still being very proactive and preventative rather than saying nothing and, and hoping for the best because if nothing goes wrong, then nobody will be talking about it. Uh, yeah, they kind of went, all right, we're going to have to take some pain here and, uh, and actually publicly say we could have an issue. So to make sure we don't have a big one, we're going to do this. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, I think it is a thankless task being the sole tire supplier. Uh, but in the same way, it's a much bigger risk if you're in a competition because someone else might make you look terrible so uh yeah I, I do feel like pirelli have been easy whipping boys sometimes to put it that way uh and yeah. perhaps sometimes just need a little bit of uh credit being given to them for for what they've been able to do in terms of as you say spice up the racing with the remit they were given mm -hmm. yep and i even saw some people going okay taking the opposite approach you know let's this is going to break it up a little bit. We're going to have this unusual set of rules where 18 lap limits. So maybe it's something new and different today that I'll enjoy. All right, guys. Um, coming up after this, we are going to talk about uh, something else that popped up in this weekend quite a bit. Track limits. You're listening to Speed CDF1. Back after this. All right, let's check out on YouTube what the folks are saying. Uh, let's see. Andy P says this tire roll, throw the strategy book out the window. That's kind of what I was just saying. I suppose it's better than having no risk, but this feels like poor planning on a sprint weekend too. Yeah, I can see that a little bit. That's kind of what we were just talking about. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Maybe it'll make for a, a better race in the same way the whole sprint concept was supposed to make for more action. Mm. I mean, we got good action, didn't we, in the sprint yesterday? Yeah, so, I mean, that was a decent, decent race in that sense. But I'm, uh, I've got Mario's story in my sights for when we're back. I'll see if I can get to him quickly enough. Ah, the uh, horse's mouth. Probably. I've seen, 
I've seen Mo Farah on the grid. Uh, any interest, do we think? Is he well enough known? There you go. The fact that you've had to ask the question means no. That's fine. Uh, he's uh, an <laughs> Olympic no, champion. No, I know who he is. Yeah, I he's know who a, he is. He's a, as, Liverpool. As a British one, I didn't know if it was uh, a little bit too uh, too specific to uh, to a different audience. So I thought I'd check. What is he? Is he's a football player, soccer player. No, no. Yeah, he's, he's one of uh, the best uh, in the world. No, oh, Mo, Mo Farah, the runner. I'm sorry. Yeah, the what runner. It's Olympic, Olympic. Oh, champion. yeah. Yeah, you're thinking of Mo Salah. Very Mo close. Salah, yeah, Mo exactly. Salah, very close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Mo Farah is Olympic and world champion, great runner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Joe of Oyster Bay says, sounds like someone went rogue on curb uh, design. They have dragon teeth like they used to stop tanks. <laughs> He's, he actually asked, asked a good question. There's no standard, I guess, then, is, is a question mark. That's a good question. Well, no, there's... No, there is. Yep, there is. I mean, I can maybe answer that when we come back on air um, because Here we go. I'll use that to then kill time before I get Mario. Here we go. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to Speed City. The Speed City F1 pre-race show on SiriusXM is brought to you by CrowdStrike. Stop today's most sophisticated cyber attacks at the office, the racetrack, and everywhere in between. Learn more at CrowdStrike.com slash XM. All right, Chris, we were talking during the break. Someone asked on YouTube, they said, what about these curbs, and is there some sort of yeah. standard? Yeah, well, actually, I could put that question to a man who's been in the news a bit this weekend. It's not that easy, is it, for you, Mario? Mario Isla, the head of uh, Motorsport Pirelli. Mario, a question from one of our listeners was, is there a standard for curbs at Formula One racetracks? Is there a standard that everyone must reach that is pre-approved by the FIA? Uh, that's a question more for the FIA. I believe there are standards. And uh, this curve, so just to be clear, is uh, a type that is used... Uh, on other circuits. The problem here is, is the time that you spend over the curb and the speed at which you run over the curb. Because with these new cars and a high downforce level, obviously the, the stress on the tire and the impact on the curb is quite uh, strong. So we've ended up today with a maximum stint length of 18 laps per tire and maybe slightly different based on used tires and what they've done. What do you think that's gonna do for strategy? Is there still room for variation? Yeah, it is possible. Uh, all the teams have the possibility, all the drivers have the possibility to run a strategy using only the hard and the medium, because we know from yesterday that the soft has a high degradation. But they can also decide for a different strategy with a soft at the end or maybe four stops. Why not? So there are many possibilities, many options. And any concerns about the tyres in the race now that you've added these rules? You know that yesterday with the, with the sprint, uh, it was not really possible to assess uh, uh, the damage because we had uh, three safety cars. Uh, but uh, we check all the tires. Uh, we compare to Friday. And I believe 18 uh, laps, uh, it's a good uh, compromise. And are you interested to see how this affects the race? Because I guess it's an experiment now, isn't it? Yeah, let, let's see what happened. Yesterday, for example, we had uh, eight cars on the soft and 12 cars on the medium. We had uh, quite a great sprint race uh, with the different uh, level of degradation and performance. So maybe we have a great race also today. Chris, yeah, we'll how do they check the tires? Thank you for your time. 
So I can answer that because he's had to walk away there. But the tires are checked by cutting them open. That's what so I thought. So Pirelli actually yeah. they strip them off the rim and then they cut them open to look through the whole compound and the different levels of it in different layers. They can see how much it's worn down, where. Uh, so you know, if there's certain parts, the inside shoulder, the outside shoulder that have worn more or less, uh, mm -hmm. how the construction inside is is faring, and that's actually where they notice these problems. So, uh, yeah, it's it's probably like a little operation that goes on. Hmm. Yeah, I I assume they cut them open. I was just wondering if they had some sort of interesting technology or some sort of scanner or, or chemistry or whatever. <laughs> but but yeah, cutting them open it's like works. Like the jaws of life. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know who makes the, think the, the jaws the, of life? By the way. You knew who makes that no. equipment? Uh, Hearst. The people who make the Hearst shifter. No. That's your that's your factoid of the day, Mr. Varsha. Oh, great. Uh, I all think right. they so, said there were 20 tires that, that were found to be affected. Yeah, interesting. Uh, it, was, well, it was tires that had done over 20 laps, uh, or, or around 20 laps. Uh, oh. But it was, uh, it was sets that were on all cars, pretty much. They said it, it wasn't specific to any one car, or one car more mm -hmm. than another. Uh, you right. couldn't really rank the grid in that sense. But also, mm -hmm. it was the left front was the worst affected, then the left rear, then the right front, and then the right rear was the least affected. But they, they still kind of all saw little signs on each one. Yeah, well, the 16 turns, I think 10 are right-handers, so that left front is really a loaded tire for much of the lap. So that makes sense. Um, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and at high speed, as uh, Mario was just saying, we're, we're talking really high speeds in some of these corners. Yeah. And because it's very flat, uh, but it's been low grip, so car's been sliding a bit, which means the tires are then overheating as well and being stressed. It's kind of a perfect storm, I think. Yeah. And it's worth noting, too, that the, uh, the, the uh, race director's notes um, get very specific about how they want to see cars um, moving around. They don't want everybody pitting at once uh, under these three mandatory pit stops. So there's, they're, they're warning the drivers to be very careful about how they line up um they don't want them side by side in case somebody has to get to the pit lane at last notice i notice also too they're taking the blue flags out of the hands of the flagmen and the corner workers and the track marshals they're going to incorporate it electronically into the light displays around the track that are normally you know green red safety car whatever now they're going to have a, a system in which if you are a certain degree faster than the car ahead and three seconds behind it will flash in a certain way for the driver to warn that you're coming so that the electronics are going to tell you when you need to be mindful of a faster car approaching behind and get out of the way It'd be interesting to see how it works. yeah i think I, i'm not sure how new that that bit is actually i think that they have previously done that at certain venues with the light panels or well, certainly i just saw it in the notes actually mm -hmm. actually waves blue flags yeah maybe it's in the positions they do it but Speaking of something that is new, I've got a, a driver here who's in a, a new top. I've got Oli Behrman, who's part of the Ferrari Driver Academy, but has been announced as doing two FB1 sessions for Haas this year. Oli, welcome to Radio Across the United States and Canada. Um, now, your first grid in Haas gear. I know you've been here working with the team this weekend. What have you been learning? Yeah, it's been amazing, first of all. I, I would like to say a huge thanks to Haas and to the, to the Ferrari Driver Academy for the opportunity. Um, yeah, I've just been here kind of learning, of course, to do a seat fit. That was my main uh, my main reason to be here because the cars are, are in freight. They don't get to come home before before Mexico. But um, yeah, I've just been learning the procedures and, and how the team works um, just so that when I turn up on Friday in Mexico, it's a little bit easier for me. So 
you'll be running Mexico and then Abu Dhabi, I believe, for FP1. But will you also be in Austin with the team or will that be spent preparing in other ways? No, Austin, I, I, I won't be there. Um, I think it's quite a busy one for the team. So it's better that I let them uh, let them focus on, the, on that. Um, but yeah, I've learned all that I kind of needed to for, for, for Mexico this weekend already. Um, so yeah, I'll just get to Mexico a couple of days early for the, for the jet lag. Now, uh, for listeners who maybe don't know that much about Ollie, he's been winning races in Formula 2 in his rookie year this year. And if I get it right, at 18 years old, you're a couple of days younger than Jack Crawford. Is that right? Yes, I, I believe I'm the youngest on the grid, uh, which is always nice. Um, takes maybe a bit of pressure away. But no, it's been a, it's been a good season. Um, a year of ups and downs in, in Formula 2. But um, yeah, a couple of regrets, but we've had a lot of high moments as well. So it gives me a lot of confidence for my, for my next year. And the fact that you are going to drive an F1 car this year, I guess progress getting closer to this grid, this must be feeling pretty close now. Yeah, exactly. I got maybe a foot in the door and inside the F1 paddock with this, uh, with this opportunity. Um, I just want to show to them what I what I can do, and uh, um, yeah, hopefully I, I you know put on a good show. Uh, thanks very much. We'll catch up with you in Mexico. Thank you. Oh, that's a good story, Chris. I'm glad you caught him. Yeah, just thought for for Haas fans, uh, they'll see a, a name that they maybe didn't know uh, that will be in the car in Mexico. So, bit of a shame he won't be in Austin with them. That would have been quite cool for him, I think. But I can understand, as he says. That's going to be hectic for that team because they're going to have a, a number of new parts as well. Big upgrade on the car uh, in Austin that they're going to be working uh, through in terms of data. So they probably don't need to cloud it by trying to incorporate a driver as well at the same time. Hey, guys, I wanted Is to talk about same? track limits because yesterday it was, <laughs> well, all weekend. I shouldn't say yesterday only. Really, it's been one of the biggest stories outside the tires this weekend, hasn't it? Well, yeah, a plethora of track limits issues. And we get to the starting grid. I, I, <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you everybody that got hit, but I, I'll just say there were fewer guys who did not have laps deleted than there were who were, did. <laughs> Chris, are you, um, have you talked to drivers about this? I mean, I know because there was a lot of disappointment. We've had Leclerc and Lando and everybody that, I mean, some of the best drivers in Formula One still dealing with this tire limit or track limit issue. Both of the McLarens, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, funny we should talk track limits and people that are upset. I'm with someone who would have been happy with the track limits rule yesterday because James Valves was watching Alex Albon hunt down Charles Leclerc at the end of the sprint. And then Charles went off track four times, got a time penalty as he held off Alex by, I think, four thousandths of a second at the line. But that meant Alex ended up seven. I mean, track limits work for you at the end of that race. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was an interesting, you wouldn't have seen it on TV, but I was watching on board with Alex. I think it might be more than four times that, that Charles went off. On that lap alone, it was about four. Um, but that, that is, I mean, the track limits are there not because we want to police them this way, but because actually we have to. Simple matter of fact is these tyres are in a bad way for this track layout. And as far as the safety consideration of it, so definitely fell our way, but they'll feature again today. I mean, Drivers are just these optimizers that want every millimeter out of it, and they're all pushed over the limits, I'm sure. Now, I know listeners are shouting at me right now to say, ask James about Andretti in his comments. We're going to do that after the race. I'm going to catch up with James. So it's a much calmer environment because it's a great topic to get stuck into, actually. But we want to talk pre-race about Williams' chances. Carlos Sainz, not here. Nice empty grid slot for you. The car looked good in race trim yesterday in similar conditions. Do you think you can go forwards? Are you just working out that Carlos Sainz isn't on the grid? I knew Sergio wasn't on the grid. Now this makes a lot more sense. Now, <laughs> so Carlos Sainz isn't on the grid because he's not racing. He's got a fuel uh, system issue and is not taking part in the Grand Prix. So that's one fewer car for you to worry about. And with, with the form you showed in the sprint, 
do you think you can go forward to the points again today? Yeah, we understand a lot of why we were fast yesterday, and the same will apply today. We'll be quick. Now, that was exaggerated by the fact that the soft tyre was just so poor. So you saw really all the soft liners go backwards. But the medium wasn't impervious to, to damage as well. We've got two new hearts of our fresh in blankets. I think you can see those playing quite a big difference today as well. Yeah, strategically, you do look well set. But can I ask you about Logan finally? Yesterday, you talked about targets you set in that you want him in the car next year. And his weekend had gone well again until another moment when he went off in the sprint. What you said to him after that and what do you want to see from him today? The main thing is he's actually very good at self-reflection. So he came to me and actually spoke about what happened, why it was there. He's, he's a driver pushing everything to the absolute limits. And when you do that, you're going to make mistakes. What we're trying to do is bring that back into a region where actually you're on the black stuff and you're going well. I don't think it's a coincidence that the other rookie on the grid, Lawson as well, at the same time, had a very similar incident to rear snap and push them on track. So it's the first rookie, Piastri, who won the race. And we got a benchmark, that's where we get a most moves towards. He has his targets for today, where he has to hit, what he has to do. We've got a strong race car, and he really has genuine opportunity for points. That's before Carlos going off the grid. I think we have a quick car. So he knows what he's going to do, it's time for him to do it. I will look forward to seeing how he gets on, and we'll catch up with you after. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, interesting. I, I want to get into more about Logan Sargent, and I'm sure we have, we'll have to do time to do that. But you know what? Let's, uh, let's get our last break in. And when we come back, Mr. Varsha is going to run through the grid with us. You're listening to Speed City. We'll be back after these messages. Okay, let's see what we got going out on YouTube. Uh, let's see. Let's see. I got a lot of people excited about this race, that's for sure. <laughs> so between tech, uh, Joe says between track limits and tire stands, well, yikes. Uh, Kevin Kelly, the entire grid is going to be on three-stop strategy. Yep. I mean, I think that's – isn't that the case, Chris? If that's the way it's going to work with this 18-lap limit. Yeah, you have to be. Uh, as long as we run for the full race distance – you can't do fewer than three stops and stay within those rules. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's see. Joe of Oyster Bay. I agree with you, Joe. He says, bummed for Carlos. That's some bad luck. I'm assuming it was discovered too late to get new parts flown in. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. Kevin Kelly says, Carlos might be out due to a, a huge possibility for McLaren to get some points. It's also a good uh, opportunity for Mercedes to um, extend their lead in the Constructors' Championship. Uh, let's see. Joel Voschebay said, this could be crazy. Yes. <laughs> I think this, Kevin Kelly said, this is one race you might want to record. <laughs> and then David brings us back to reality. He says, man, we were giving this race all the hype. It may just let us down. <laughs> that's well, your, that's yeah. your buddy, um, Bob, David Lawrence. I think he's a fan of yours. Excellent. Oh, uh, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. Everyone's a fan of Bob's. <laughs> <laughs> Not according to my Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Join that club. Yeah. The official poll. <laughs> I kept waiting for people to roast me on Twitter after forgetting that Carlos had won a race this year yesterday. <laughs> uh, here we go. I don't know. 
Hi, this is Max Steppen and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, everybody, we're about 12 minutes from the start of this race. And to get us ready, we're going to get Mr. Bob Varsha to walk us through the grid. Well, I'll take some of that 12 minutes to apologize in advance. Uh, God knows what's going to happen to this grid. I should probably have Chris do it since he's there where all the action is. <laughs> but I'll give it my best shot. Here we go. Row one, P1, Max Verstappen for the Red Bull, the newly crowned three-time world champion, gets his 10th of the season. That matches his career best. And the 30th of his career, that ties him with Nico Rosberg for eighth on the all-time list. And he did it on just one Q3 run. Next to him, George Russell in the Mercedes on the front row for just the third time this season and the second time in three races, moving ahead of his teammate Lewis Hamilton in their head-to-head qualifying competition. Row two, Lewis Hamilton himself in the second Mercedes, his first top three start since the most recent sprint weekend in Belgium five races ago. He won the first Qatar GP in 2021, but he's only won one race since then. Uh, starting P4, Fernando Alonso and the Aston Martin, still the only driver to qualify in the top 10 at every 2023 Grand Prix, but he hasn't started this high since he landed on the front row in a wet Montreal in round six. Row three, Charles Leclerc from Ferrari, fourth place finisher in each of the last three races, penalized in the sprint, still without a victory for a team of which so much is expected. We're starting to see the Scuderia favorite quoted about what it would take to send him elsewhere, which may be interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, P6, Oscar Piastri for McLaren, scored his first Formula One pole and first race win in Saturday's sprint. Only the second victory for McLaren in the last 11 seasons. And they're one of the most successful teams in Formula One history. Both McLaren drivers had laps to lead in qualifying for today's race, setting them misleadingly, I think, lower on the grid than their speed would suggest. Row four, all Alpine, Pierre Gasly, P7. The Renault teammates were 16th and 17th in their one and only Friday morning practice, then moved up to 7th and 8th when it counted, albeit aided by deleted lap times for other drivers. P8, Esteban Ocon in the other car, both cars inside the top 10, despite not getting more than one car there in the previous three GPs. Row five, Valtteri Bottas and the Alfa Romeo. A bit of a qualifying surprise, I'd say, reaching the top 10 for only the third time this season following the races in Miami and Hungary. P10, Lando Norris for McLaren, his lowest starting position in the last 11 races, but he had a lap time good for the front row in hand when his best lap was deleted for track limit violations. Row six, P11, Yuki Tsunoda and the Alfa Tauri. Missed Q3 and a top 10 start by just four one-thousandths of a second. Next to him was to have been Carlos Sainz in the second Ferrari, but we have learned he is now out of the race with technical issues. Uh, He was a pole sitter in two of the last three races, so we'll be missing his speed, but he was out in Q2 for the third time this year following Canada and Hungary. Row seven, Alex Albon and the Williams, the highest ranking driver in the points who has yet to score under the sprint format this year. Or did he score? I'm confused. <laughs> Next to him, Nico Hulkenberg in the Haas clinches the teammate head-to-head by out-qualifying Kevin Magnussen for the 12th time this season. Row 8, Logan Sargent in the Williams, a big step in qualifying for the American rookie, less than a tenth of a second off his teammate's time in a trip to Q2. Lance Stroll next to him. Out in Q1 for the fourth consecutive race, still the highest ranked driver in the championship who has yet to stand on the podium in 2023. 
And he, of course, drives the Aston Martin, as we mentioned earlier. He gave his physiotherapist a shove, and everybody hates Lance Stroll today. <laughs> uh, row nine, Liam Lawson for Alpha Tori, the first Q1 elimination for the sensational young Kiwi since his debut subbing for Daniel Ricciardo at Zanvert. Rumors suggest Lawson has been promised a Red Bull-controlled seat in uh, Grand Prix racing in 2025. 18th, Kevin Magnussen and the Haas out in Q1 for the 10th time this season. Row 10, Guan Yu Zhou in the Alfa Romeo, eliminated in the same session, Q1, for the sixth time in 2023. And starting from the pit lane, Sergio Perez in the Red Bull, who crashed out of the sprint after contact with Ocon and Hulkenberg, building up the new car, violated Park for May rules, the same ones William tripped over following Logan Sargent's crash in Japan resulting in that pit lane start, which has become a bit of a precedent. So there's the grid, I think. Hmm. Did you see how I didn't even interrupt you that time, <laughs> Bob, as well? Let oh, no, I didn't notice that. Is that what happened? <laughs> you didn't interrupt me? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did actually spend a bit of that time quickly off record chatting. I say off record, but off mic, chatting to Fred Masur. <laughs> so what happened with the fuel issue is it was only recognized when they put the fuel in the car one hour before the race. So ah. then it's too late to do anything. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're basically filling the, filling the, uh, the car full of fuel to then send it to the track. And, yeah, you, you, can't, you can't change the fuel system at that point. So, uh, sadly, that's mm. why there's no Carlos Sainz. And I must say, fair play to Carlos. Uh, he was actually on the grid, I'd spotted. Uh, he was there for the national anthem. He was still a part of the whole ceremony and kind of doing his duties. Uh, and then just had to, he had his uh, overalls on for it as well, which I can tell you, in this heat was probably not comfortable. Uh, and then and then was stripping off again as he walked off the grid, having done that. So, yeah, really tough. Because if you think these guys are, their whole weekend is building up to this moment. They, they, they've travelled all this way to to go racing and then to watch all your peers getting ready to jump up in the car and you're, you're not taking part must, uh, must really suck. Mm. Yeah. I, this guy I, should grab him for the TV commentary. Yeah, good point. <laughs> well, yeah, I have to move quick. I have to move very quick. Hey, Chris, I want to ask you, can you set the stage for us? Look around, give us your uh, eyes and ears. Well, I've just actually walked back into the paddock, which is this new building, which is pretty stunning, I yeah. must admit. I say building, complex, construction. It's got these almost like spaceship-style uh, canopy covers in the middle sections of, uh, of like it breaks it up into thirds should i say uh, and then the hospitality buildings on one side uh, on two levels and the top level is huge glass screen for each team so it's got their drivers on there and their logos it's a proper massive led screen uh, which is really really impressive but also at night as we are now like lights the place up beautifully uh, and then lots of seating downstairs as well although i must point out that not many people sitting outside cause it's still so hot um sweating through everything we're wearing at the moment especially when you get everyone uh, on the grid but uh, yeah, all of the guests and VIPs and team members that are not involved in the operation of the cars have now made their way back through tunnels into the paddock, so the other side of the pit building, uh, and, and are making their way to a screen, basically, to find a way of following the race. So, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's massively different to two years ago when we came here. It was all a lot more temporary looking. Uh, big investment on this front, but they haven't quite nailed it elsewhere. Hmm. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I saw the pictures this weekend. It was really, really amazing looking, actually. And what was it, Chris? I guess it was it the same area you're just describing there, where it almost looked like a a really brand new high end shopping mall is what it looked like. Yes, exactly that. That's exactly what it is. It's kind of sort of 
uh, sand colored stone yeah. um, and, and lots of white paintwork. Yeah, it, it does. It looks like an outdoor mall uh, that you'd be walking around. It's kind of like, was it the domain in Austin? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's exactly yeah, what I was yeah, envisioning. Kind of like that. Uh, <laughs> Can't so believe you. That, yeah, a bit similar to that. Get out of my head, Chris. So, How'd you do that? <laughs> well, look, I, 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 I'm learning the audience a bit better, aren't I? I'm trying to make sure that I'm speaking to the right people at the right time. Um, although I did almost, almost grab my Farah just then as I was explaining that, the, uh, the Olympian who is obviously a bit more of a British icon. But funny enough, he moved too quickly for me. And as someone who's a you know, marathon runner, that's not a surprise. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, yeah, very much like the domain, actually. And on this front, fine. I must admit, outside, not the greatest organization of a Grand Prix ever seen. And I think when you get issues like that on the outside and with security that it's just been a bit of a headache for a lot of people working here this past week you then add in the tire issues we've talked about and the track limits issues and a few questions are being asked about some of the venues we go and race in i mean it's been oh you know we talked about temperatures as well in the daytime here well over 100 fahrenheit um every day mm. like i think we're getting close to 110 numbers um someone has to do the conversion but i saw 45 on my car readout uh, in celsius and it's the wrong time of year to be here trying to put on a race in that sense. So there, there's a lot being asked now about the calendar and the expansion and whether uh, chasing money in certain venues is going slightly too far uh, and not actually all fitting in at the right time in the right place, uh, especially as we now head into, I think we've got three sprint weekends in the final six races. And as Bob pointed out, a championship was won on a sprint sprint race that's just been a little bit underwhelming because they couldn't celebrate it properly and that sort of thing. It's uh, there, there, there are downsides uh, that have been cropping up this week, I think, for a few people. So uh, there's been a bit of discussion around that as well. Well, we'll uh, we'll be here at Circuit of the Americas in the next race, right here where I am sitting right now in Austin, and we'll have uh, we'll have at least some sense of normalcy back for that. But we will be a sprint weekend. But hey, guys, we just got two minutes left. We got to get in our predictions. And um, Bob, you want to go first? Uh, well, yeah, why not? Shot <laughs> in the dark. That's me. Um, Verstappen, Hamilton, Piastri. Oh, I would like that. Uh, what about you, Chris? I'm going to go very similar. but I'm, So I, I was going to go Verstappen, Russell, Norris, and I won't lie. I totally forgot how much further up the grid Piastri was starting compared to Lando. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm going to go. I think actually, weirdly, the stint length thing as well helps drivers that maybe are still finding their feet with tire decks. So, yeah, I'll go Verstappen, Russell, Piastri. Okay, I like that. I'm going to go Verstappen, Hamilton, Alonso. How many world championships will that be on the podium? <laughs> That'll uh, be a repeat of the podium here two years ago. Well, that was Hamilton who won, but it was those three together for the first time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And we have a lot more world championships claimed since then. Yeah, true. <clears throat> Very true. And uh, yeah, just a, a, I'm glad no one said Carlos Sainz in their, in their predictions there because <laughs> I could see it coming. But uh, I thought yeah, about poor, it. <laughs> poor Carlos. So uh, I'm going to say he's had a good solid seven out of 10 weekend regardless, seeing as he doesn't get a race today. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in. And of course, um, stick with us right here because you'll be able to hear the entire race. The BBC team is going to be calling their entire race right here on ESPN Extra Channel 81. And after the race, we'll, the three of us will be back for a full one-hour post-race show. And we want your phone calls. Write it down. 512-643-5483. Give us a call after the race and we'll talk to you then. <laughs>